my message today is called Chosen. It's a communion. It's actually, it's more complicated than that. It's a, it's a sermon and a communion and a bit of a testimony as well. It's to test this communion today. I think that's never been done before. As always, I like to be original. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to knock this on the floor, but never mind. Um, Sunday's always a special day. It's great when we all get together. It's a very special day for me today, and for my wife. It's our 29th wedding anniversary today. And uh, there she is. There you are. Best day's work I ever did. And... Uh, and also, in about in 12 days' time, it's our 29th spiritual birthday as well. Uh, it was a, it was a busy year, 1990, and I will be talking about it uh, a bit more later on. Uh, a few of you remember when we came to church. I know, like the Vernons and Keith and one or two, one or two others. Not many anymore, <laughs> but uh, a few of you remember us and Mova and Keith uh, when we first came along. Uh, Jeff was just after us. He's putting his hand up. He wasn't there. He wasn't. Just <laughs> we, as we get older, we, you know. Me and, me and Jeff were there together. We're there together. We have to keep reminding each other. But we, chosen. It, the, the, the title chosen. We, we got chosen, okay? The Bible talks about that. There are, getting on for 7 billion people in the world. Has anybody ever thought... Why did God choose me? <laughs> Nobody else? Oh, one or two. Look, everyone's going, Ooh. I'll be amazed if at some point you think, out of all the people in the world, why me? Why would God go, oh, Roger Spence, you'll do. Big sinner, not particularly talented. I do have, you know, Hollywood looks, which has helped. <laughs> but other than that, there's not much that distinguishes me from Hollywood. No, Hollywood. Not, not Hollywood. But why, why, would, why would God choose me? Time to look at the Bible. 1 Thessalonians. So if you turn into, uh, to 1 Thessalonians, uh, in, you did, you did, darling. You did. With all my flaws and faults. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It says, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because of our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. See, we see ourselves a certain way. You know, I can look at myself, I'm sure you look at yourself, and it's easy to be critical of ourselves. We're probably most of us our own worst critics. You know, we, you know, we see every fault, every failure, every time we messed up, the negative emotion thing. Oh, why did, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't. Have, why do I keep doing this? We all, we all go through those things. 
Everybody. You know, you think, oh, it's me, it's just me, I'm not worthy. No, you're not. None of us are, but that doesn't matter. It's not about being, you know, it's not us that makes us, makes us worthy. But you see, God doesn't see you as you are. Now, when God looked down and chose you, He didn't, it's not as you are. God sees the potential. God sees what you can become. And He says here, the gospel didn't come with just words, it came with power. And believe me, you know, there is a Holy Spirit and there is a power that comes with the gospel. Don't ask me to explain how it all works, please. I'm not a theologian. But I know from experience that there is power in the gospel. Absolutely. 100%. The reason I'm here today means there's power in the gospel. You didn't know me before. None of you knew me really, what I was like. This is the testimony bit. <laughs> See how I've done this? <laughs> the, the cogs are meshing like a well-oiled machine. But you know, you look at Sybil and I, we're, we're incredibly happy. And, and we both thank God for the blessings that we've got. You know, uh, our, our, our home, our jobs, our children, our health, constantly. Because it can all, it, things can go and change so quickly. And I think as you get older you realise that. You know, we're, we're only a blink away from, you know, a, a disease or an illness or a, you know, a, a bereavement or whatever it may be. And we, we, we continue, we're continually thankful. But share a little bit about where, where we came from and our life. We met in 1987. You know, I was, let me work it out 34 um, I'd been in Saudi Arabia for four years so, uh, and we'd both been in marriages that were, were basically falling apart and we met and we were both going through separations and divorces with our previous my wife uh, ex-wife and, and Sybil's ex-husband so we met in September 1987 and we we were attracted let's say immediately and um we, we began to live together and by in, in November 1988 our t- the twins were born now I already had two children and Sybil had one child so we had three boys and then we had the twins a boy and a girl the problem for us was that we didn't trust one another there was no trust in the relationship um, we, we'd both been damaged we, we both had two real hefty suitcases of baggage that we were dragging around behind us and in December 1989, we almost split up. Um, a lot of it was down to my selfishness, hand on heart. It was a lot of it. I think I was probably 75% to blame, and uh, Sybil just the 25%. But if any feel like you want to move that, I'm, I'm fine with 60-40. But I thought as the husband, I'd better take most of the rap <laughs> but it, it, we, were, we, were, we were desperate to be honest we were in a really bad place it was, Christmas was, was there this is how close it was the, the suitcases were packed my suit and I was going to leave and so that was mean I was separated from my first wife because we weren't married yet who had two children I was going to be leaving Sybil and other two children I'm going to have a great time as a dad so it, it was really desperate, and we were in such a mess. The twins were 13 months old. The thing was, on the surface, we looked great. 
you know, we, we had jobs, we had money, we had a car, we had a house, we had this, we had that. People would look at us and say, oh wow, look at what a, what a great couple. You know, not knowing what was going on underneath. It's a bit of a long convoluted story, but I will get down, I'll, I'll cut it a bit short. Civil sisters Jean and Maria got met and got baptised. Civil sister Jean didn't really like me very much. She wasn't really very nice to me. I know it's hard to believe. But I don't, I don't think she thought I was good enough for Sybil, which is probably true. Um, but they played quite a large part. That, um, what happened was uh, that they spoke to Sybil about the church and Sybil started studying the Bible. One thing that did impact me uh, was that um, Jean, who got been baptised, came up one weekend... And then Sybil said, would you drop, uh, she lives in London, she said, would you drop Jean back to uh, New Street Station? I said, yeah, okay, I thought, here we go, going to get it in the neck now. Because she was always not very nice to me, you know, uh, at best grumpy. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, so I took her down to New Street Station and I got her bags out of the car. It was all quiet in the car. She was quiet and I was quiet. I thought, that's great, That's, that's not a problem. And then I got her bags out and I said, she, I said, she said, oh Roger, I just want to say, I'm really sorry for the way I've treated you, I've been a terrible, you know, I've not been a good friend to you and da 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 da, and I'm stood there, this is like, all I can hear in my head is this buzzing, you know, what, like, what, what? And then she gave me a kiss goodbye and walked off. She's gone, I'm still stood there like this. <laughs> like, I, I, and I came back, I said, I said, Georgine had a breakdown. <laughs> She's like, what, what? I said, and I told her how she said no she's become a Christian I'm like oh okay <laughs> alright then good on them Christians uh, you know but, it, but anyway it, that was the way it was. but then Sybil, Sybil then uh, encouragement from her sisters started uh, studying the Bible and uh, say so this was in early 1990 we were due to get married in the May we still had Concerns because we were doing so badly together. We still we, were, we stayed together after that New Year and Christmas, but you know there was like we were hanging on by a thread, and that's where we were. And then Sybil started asking me these questions, such as, uh, "Do you think it's okay for us to be living together when we're not married?" And I was like, "Well, considering we got two kids, <laughs> that horse is bolted." <laughs> She said, I said, why are you asking? No, no, just thought I'd mention it. Um, but then, one Sunday morning, um, I would say a, long, a while back, it would have been in about maybe February, March, March time, someone said, I'm, I'm going to church, why don't you come along with me? I said, okay. I mean, I had very little interest in Christianity or, or, or religion. You know, I, I, you remember I was kind of brought up with the troubles in Ireland and the Catholics and the Protestants, and I just thought it's just hypocrisy and mm. it's not it's not true and it's not real and everything else. But I went along. Archie Kendall was preaching, <laughs> and uh, I think Tim, the Danets were away. I think they were away at a retreat, and Arch was preaching, and he was preaching about the Ephesians. I was talking about these Ephesians I thought blimey they must have been a powerful army there's 
there's a lot of talk about I didn't know I didn't know it was a church I mean that shows you how much I knew but but anyway I listened to it and it was and I was impressed with the warmth of people you know I was a bit unused to people hugging me I was like oh okay easy that's like that's fine don't get too close but but the, but the people were very warm you, you know and and, and, and I did feel that I, I gen, genuinely did I thought yeah, these, are, these are nice people you know but I was, sat, I was dying for a fag while I was in, in there because I used to smoke like a chimney in those days um, I might talk about that a bit more and then um, during the fellowship Scott Bryden came up and spoke to me and said have you ever thought about studying the Bible oh boy here we go you know, I said no 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 but um, I said you're not going to convert me so don't start he said no no we'll just pop round and we'll have a chat and Anyway, we went to a couple of marriage events as well. I think we, uh, I think we had one with uh, our friends over there. <laughs> Sorry? Vernon. Vernon, yes, I couldn't think of the name. We're going to completely out of my mind. <laughs> George and I've only known them 29 years. <laughs> completely out of my mind. Gordon, <laughs> Benny. We were at Clifford and Glynish's, if I remember correctly. I remember it well. I remember nobody, I got my cigarette, nobody wanted a cigarette. I thought, <laughs> I love these people. I love these people. I was the only one sat there smoking. Everyone sat in a big circle like around me. You know, big cloud. Okay. I told you there's power in the gospel. Believe me. But you know, so there's me puffing away, the only smoker. But you know, we over about a six week period with uh, you know, with help from the Brydens and the Danets studying the Bible, we got to the point where we, we wanted to commit ourselves. Uh, there were a couple of things that stood in the way. Uh, one, we were still living together, so we did the, we did the, we did a sin study that night, and uh, it was decided I needed to move out. So that conversation we'd had a month or so earlier was coming to fruition. I'm like, well, I said, oh, "I'll go in the spare room." No, no, no. You need to move out. Not, the Bible talks about not a hint. What do you think people would think if they saw you leaving? They wouldn't, you know. So, okay. So I spent <coughs> moving into the bride and spare bedroom. Remember, they were, they were newlyweds. They'd only been married about six months. So uh, moved into their back bedroom until, until we got married. But I was glad that we did it, you know, because it, 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 it was a way of, um, you know, making a real commitment that we were serious. You know, I think it was a good thing um, that, that we could do that. And, then, and I think uh, with the wedding coming up, that we could feel good about the wedding. That we'd, and I think showing that bit of discipline was, was really beneficial. And uh, obviously the other thing was my nicotine addiction. Um, so we got married on, fifth, on the 5th of May, 1990. Uh, Scott and Claire were there at the wedding. Uh, it was great to have them there. And, um, and I stopped smoking on the 12th, on the, on the way back from the honeymoon. Because I said to somebody, I said, don't ask me to stop before the wedding. I said, I'll have a breakdown. I've got, I can't do, I'm, I'm nervous enough as it is. But on the way back, we were driving back from Scotland, where we have gone for the honeymoon, and I uh, said goodbye to the last one, and that was it. And hand on heart, I've never touched one, you know. I would be, uh, you know, I'm one of those on, you know, uh, one's too many and a million's not enough. So that, that, that's kind of my attitude to smoking. And then on the 17th of May, um, Scotty baptised me, and then I baptised Sybil. And so that was, that was a great day for us. And, uh, and it's been transformational the last 29 years. Um, 
you know, God continues to mould us and to change us. And it, it's been a, a, an interesting journey. Sometimes it seems like five minutes. Sometimes it seems like a lifetime. It's straight, I think looking back on things always feels a bit that way. But we're still a work in progress. You know, we, we never, uh, you know, we never think we've arrived. We never think that we're great. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's God that's great. Um, but he's changed us in so many ways, but we've been so blessed. You know, uh, luckily, I think we're fortunate though, that we are, we do, we do try and take on board, and we're not, we're not, uh, opposed to, to, to being given advice. And we had some great marriage group, married groups in the early days. And we really did try and put them into practice. It doesn't, believe me, we've had some bumps. Trust me, <laughs> there, are, there are no smooth marriages without bumps. There's always bumps. But you know what, if you do things the right way and you get help and advice and you follow the Bible, you can overcome all these things. There's nothing that can't be overcome. And again, it's not because of us. But again, going back to why God chose you. And he chose you because he sees what you can become. He sees your potential. He doesn't just look 29 years down the road. He's maybe looking 50, 60. He's looking at your last day. He knows what you can become. Just to, uh, just look over in Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 12. And he says, he says, Therefore, as God's, and here's the word again, chosen people. Chosen, and it comes up about... Uh, 130 odd times in the Bible. It's amazing that, it, obviously a lot of it refers to Jesus. But it says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So God talks here about being chosen and about being dearly loved and about clothing ourselves in a certain way let's look at these this is all part of the transformation that God's looking for when he when he looks at us where we are and where we can be you know and he talks about compassion I mean how do we deal with this when you see people who are in need are you, are you willing to help do you show kindness uh, regardless of whether you think they deserve it? I think hand in hand with that is kindness. You know, compassion and kindness really, uh, that they are real bedfellows. You know, are you kind when you get the opportunity? Or has or your heart started to form a crust? You know, we noticed we went into Birmingham yesterday, the number of people who were obviously homeless I mean, we live with, or, or, you know, with drug or alcohol or, or addictions. You know, we came out of New Street, and I'm, I'm amazed how bad it's got in Birmingham. You know. But do you see them as undeserving of your kindness? When you see people, oh, well, they're drug addicts, it's their own fault. I was a drug addict for nicotine. It's a drug You say, well, they, they, don't deserve, they don't deserve my pound. They don't deserve my 50p or my time or my whatever. Are we deserving of God's forgiveness? I, I don't deserve it. I'll just, just right place at the right time. Humility. I'm not talking about false humility. You know, I use that a lot, but only in sermons to 
get, get, you, get you on side <laughs> but humility is a big one you know how do you do when it comes to seeking advice how do you react when people try and help people who genuinely care about you do you have an attitude of that you know best is your opinion more important than theirs it's a big thing if we hadn't been humble in our marriage in the early days believe me we would not be together we would not be together today if we hadn't taken advice from people who were wiser who showed us what the scriptures say and really most of it is is biblical it's not just advice from them it was always backed up with, uh, with biblical principles it made such a difference when, when we could see ourselves clearly the way God sees us. You know, going back to, you know, this hum- the humility thing about some of the conversation, we learned some hard truths. I said, I love Sybil. Because I remember being, I said, do you love Sybil? Yes, of course I love her. I live with her, don't I? Must love her. You said, well, what about the biblical standard of love? And it was shown to me, I realised that the love I had was conditional on how Sybil behaved and how she treated me I also saw that I loved myself far more than I loved Sybil and it was a rude awakening I knew that I had to face up to it and even now after 29 years of marriage I still need to remain humble and seek advice because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things trust me my heart can be very deceitful when it wants to be you know said oh no no Roger this is fine it's okay it's already because it's already something that I desire or something that I want yes you should have your own way in this remember when you let Sybil have her own way all those multitude of times <laughs> you deserve a little faith it's so easy you're so deceitful gentleness this is for the husbands are you gentle with your wife it's all for everybody really we're gentle with one another as disciples or do you like to get your own way listen all of us would love to get our own way all the time you know but that only produces spoiled children you know you let your kids have their own way all the time they grow up spoiled God doesn't raise spoiled kids you know Jesus wasn't spoiled he's the example I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing that we show gentleness and not frustration showing patience and again that's kind of linked with the gentleness thing you know but how do you do when things go wrong how do you do when things become very challenging do you get impatient do you get frustrated do you get angry do you get annoyed do you get irritated you know because the remote control won't work and match of the days on in five minutes the car's not starting <laughs> and your wife's saying what's wrong can you fix it all those things how do you do in those circumstances and bearing with one one another or do we continually demand our own way and get stubborn and this is the big one forgiveness this is a tough one should I be the one to forgive should it always be me I remember when Sybil and I we we had a bit of a bust up I can't remember what it was about and Sybil was obviously in the wrong in, 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 in my opinion anyway and we, I went to get some advice and I went to see Walter Evans who used to lead the church years ago and Walter and I said Walter Walter I said me and Sybil have had this 
bit of a bust up. I said, and you know, and I get laid it all out. I said, so she's clearly in the wrong. So how are we going to get her to repent? <coughs> See what a spiritual guy I was. How are we going to show her the error of her ways? He said, well, I've just I've figured it out what you need to do. I said, what's that? He said, you need to go and, and, and ask her to forgive you. I said, for what? <laughs> go, and, go and admit your fault to say, Sib, I'm really sorry, please forgive me. I said, well, why, why on earth would I want to do that? He said, well, here's the thing. There's a lesson to be learned here. He said, if it's as you say, which I doubt... <laughs> You know, what you're doing, you're showing Sybil an example of true humility. You're accepting the responsibility, even when she's in the wrong. He says, but if by any slim chance you might be in the wrong, wrong, well, you need to apologise anyway. So you can't lose. It's a win-win situation. I wasn't really feeling like it was a win-win situation. But, but I, I went ahead and did it. And so it was incredibly gracious, which was, on which she said, no, no, it was me, I'm sorry. We shouldn't have done it. And I was like, oh wow, this works. <laughs> this, now I'm not saying use it as a cynical tool. <laughs> I'm saying be genuine when you do this stuff. Don't, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, but forgiveness is a big thing. Um, here's the reality. It's a reality check for every one of us. Only forgiven people go to heaven. So just remember, only forgiven people get into heaven and God says if you don't forgive others I won't forgive you that is a serious challenge to us as disciples and I constantly have to work on being forgiven uh, forgiving people who have slighted me in one way or another and it's a challenge because it's so easy to fall into well they deserve it why should I forgive why should I listen if someone's done you wrong and you don't forgive them what's the ultimate victory they could have over you stop you going to heaven who's won you say ah yes but I didn't forgive them oh well tell that to Satan (laughs) you know we've got to forgive people it's crucial and it's ridiculous to think that you know we, we can just laugh in God's face God says I'm forgiven every, every sin you ever committed every slight every little tiny thing yet you've got this one thing to forgive and you're saying no you're refusing we have to re- it's an important thing and, and I can't stress it enough love this is the thing that binds everything, everything together as the Bible says the world peddles love willy-nilly, you know. And I talked about when we did the we did the study about when this, I got challenged. and said, "Do you love Sybil?" And I said, "Of course I love Sybil." And I read up, and Scotty may remember. They said, "Just turn in your back, turn over one Corinthians, one Corinthians thirteen, chapter thirteen, verse four. And we read this, and I'll just read it now again. It said. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
And remember, they said, Roger, do you love Sybil? I said, yes, of course I love Sybil. They said, okay, read it again. <laughs> and where it's talking about love, just change it for Rod to put your name in. So I read it, it said, Roger is patient. Okay. Roger is kind. Now and again. Roger does not envy. Roger does not boast. Roger is not proud. Roger is not rude. Rod, I was starting to get nervous by now, you can imagine. <laughs> they said, this is what love is, by the biblical standard. Roger is not self-seeking. Roger is not easily angered. Roger keeps no record of wrongs. Roger does not delight in evil. Roger rejoices in the truth. Roger always protects. Roger always trusts. Roger always hopes. Roger always perseveres. Let me say this. I fell short by a, a good margin. And I think most of us would. But that's what love is. When you, when you say you love someone, that's the standard. We're all sinners. We're all flawed. It's a, it's a high standard. Well, you know what, if you're going to set a bar, set it high. So if you miss a bit, you're still going to be up there. Don't set the bar. If it was me, I'd have the bar down there. Jump over it every time. But would I be really fulfilling what the Bible wants from me? And I often say to people, you, you, you get involved with people in marriage. Don't ask, don't ask me if I love Sybil. Ask Sybil if she feels loved. And on the other hand, don't, don't ask the wives if the husbands feel respected. Ask the husbands if they feel respected. That's what's important. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I might do a song. <laughs> Just to make it stick. Renee talks about that a lot. And I think that it's not just in a marriage. Husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. You know, disciples love one another. Respect one another. It's not just husbands and wives. Finally, this <coughs> sermon about being chosen. We're going to look at the, fi- the final choice, really. And this is the communion part. And this is about Jesus being chosen as well. Just turn to Luke 23. I, I, I will, I will apologise. I use this scripture so much. I always, when I'm looking at the cross and the crucifixion, the one in Luke, for, for, it resonates with me, so I'm a, I, I know I've used it previously, so I'm sorry that I've used it again. Um, but for me, it's the one that it, it just says everything, really. And going back to our theme of chosen. <clears throat> I begin reading in verse uh, 26. It says, as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women, who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that had never nursed. They will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, 
the chosen one. There were many choices for Jesus. It says in the Bible, he gave up his life. No, he said, no one takes my life. He chose to die. He chose to go to Jerusalem. He chose to tell the truth when he was being interrogated by the Sanhedrin. When they said, are you the son of God? He said, yes. It's as you say. He could have said, no. You've got the wrong man. Somebody else said it. He made his choices. And then he chose to die. And he, and and I was amazed when I when I was looking 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 it up about ch- chosen. How many times they talk about Jesus as the chosen one? You know, God chose him. I keep trying to work this out, racking my brains a bit. This, if God chose Jesus, were, were there other options for God? I don't know, but that's what He chose. God maybe could have chose not quite so difficult a path but he chose the most challenging path that he could have done let's just continue reading before we take the bread and the wine the soldiers also came up and mocked him they offered him wine vinegar and said if you are the king of the Jews save yourself there was a written notice above him which read this is the king of the Jews one of the criminals who hung there, uh, who hung there hurled insults at him aren't you the Christ save yourself and us but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit your spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. (coughs) God chose you. And he chose you to respond to the death of his son. And I think the great thing is God sees the potential in all of us. He sees what we might become. As we take the bread and the wine, be confident. He gave his precious son for every one of us. And we are chosen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can take the bread and the wine now and remember the sacrifice that you made for all of us, Lord. Thank you that you chose us out of the world. Please strengthen us with your spirit. We know that it's because of your Holy Spirit that we are able to move forward and be the people that you want us to be. Thank you again for your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.